Let us pray. Almighty God, look mercifully upon your people, that by your great goodness they may be governed and preserved evermore. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man whose trust, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deed. The word of the Lord. A reading from Second Corinthians. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice that in, in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. We give you thanks and praise, Father. We thank you for the light um, that shines, that reveals to us uh, the truth, Lord. And we thank you that that light is Jesus. Pray that you would open our eyes um, in new ways to the truth of who he is and who you are and um, who we are in you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I feel like as I begin this morning, I should just confess that on the side of my sermon notes are my notes about the Wordle word um, I was working on. Um, so I realized that this morning, in my desperation to figure the word out, I used my sermon notes. So for you Wordle fans out there, perhaps you can um, sympathize with that. So um, in the uh, book, The Horse and His Boy, which I'm sure many of you know is a book in the Narnia series written by C.S. Lewis, there's a moment at the end where um, uh, a character named Erevis is having a conversation with Aslan. Aslan is the Jesus figure in the books. He is a lion. Um, Aslan is explaining, actually, to Erevis some of the things that she has experienced. And he's um, sort of helping her understand some of the things that she has gone through. And as he's um, speaking to her about that, she asks about someone else. And she says, well, what about that person? What did they experience? And Aslan says to her, I am telling you your story, not hers. No one is told any story but their own. And that moment um, in Narnia always reminds me of a, a moment at the, um, near the end of the, or actually at the end of the Gospel of John, where Peter, the Apostle Peter, is having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is uh, telling Peter in sort of a, a cryptic way, but basically telling Peter how he's going to die. And Peter, um, hearing this, sees John walking by and points to John and says, what about him? And Jesus says, if it's my will that he remains until I come, what's that to you? <laughs> I love that, that he says to Peter, what's that to you? Right? Basically he's saying, that's his story. I'm telling you your story. And I share that today because in our um, scripture reading from 2 Corinthians, which we'll be looking at uh, together today, we have Paul sharing his story, right? And, and there's a way in which we need to be clear when we read this. This is his story, right? He is sharing an intimate moment that he had with the Lord. He's sharing that for us. But if we read this and say, okay, so when do I get caught up to the third heaven? Or what's my thorn in the flesh? I think we're actually kind of taking his story and trying to make it our own. Clearly, this is his story. And it's a story um, that connects with the Corinthians, but of course, in another way, we can say this is our story, because this is Holy Scripture. This is the Word of God for us. 
as we read the scriptures and as we live in the scriptures, right, we are learning and soaking in our story, the story of salvation, the story of who our God is and how he has worked among his people. And so I want to sort of navigate that together today as we read this to say, what is Paul's story? What is the story that he's sharing with us? But then to ask some questions of how does this relate to our story? How actually is this our story as well? And because I'm a preacher, I'm going to ask some questions, but then I'll give some answers um, uh, that I, I think are good answers. But actually, I really want actually those questions to be questions for us to consider and ponder because in passages like this, and we've experienced this for the last few weeks, there's so much going on that sometimes we get caught up in the details, which is good. We should. It's good to study scripture. It's also good to step back and say, how do I ponder this and how do I um, reflect on this and what this means for me? And it means a lot for us because, again, it's God's word. So um, a little context, if um, you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're in the section of 2 Corinthians that's called the fool's speech often because Paul, in a sense, is giving this uh, speech. He talks a lot about being foolish and giving this speech, not as much here, but in the couple passages before this. And basically the heart of what Paul's doing right here is he's defending himself against attacks from a group that he calls the super apostles. And again, if you've been with us, you've heard this before, that's basically a group that's seeking to have influence in the Corinthian church. Um, Paul calls them the super apostles sarcastically um, because um, he does not think they're super, uh, but they think they're super. They think they're sort of super spiritual. Um, They want to be very influential. It's very important to them to be impressive, um, basically, and to show how impressive they are, and actually to show how unimpressive Paul is. And so he's defending himself, but really what he's defending is the message of the gospel. He's wanting to make clear to the Corinthian church, right? If you reject me as an apostle, you, you, you're rejecting the very message that I've shared with you, the good news of salvation. And don't reject that message. And so there's a passion here. And Dean talked about last week, right? It's like a father, right? Concerned for his children. That's what's going on here. Um, as we saw last week and we see again this week, there's emotion in this and there's some sarcasm in it, um, which is uh, helpful for us to understand as we see um, this dynamic. And so again, he's speaking to them, again, um, addressing concerns or addressing attacks that have come from the super apostles. And so this passage begins, right? Him saying, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. So again, right away we see, okay, there must be some sarcasm here, sarcasm here because he's saying, I shouldn't boast. But I'm going to, but there's nothing to be gained by it. But there actually is something to be gained, clearly, by his words, or he wouldn't be sharing them. He says, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Now we know, because we've read the whole passage, that this man is Paul. And we'll talk about that more in a minute and why he's talking about himself in the third person. Why he's saying, I'll boast about this man, but I won't boast about myself. But yet the man is him. So there's a lot to kind of get our minds around there. But just note what this man experienced, what he experienced 14 years ago. He was caught up to the third heaven, which is a way of saying he was caught up into the very presence, the intimate presence of God. He was caught up into the throne room of God. And um, he says, right, I don't even know if this was in the body or out of the body. Clearly this is important because he repeats it twice. I don't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. Why is that important? Well, one thing it's making clear is, This is a vision, it's a revelation from the Lord, but this is not just merely a dream. I'm not that God doesn't work through dreams, he does, right? This isn't merely some sort of, you know, thing I imagined or, you know, wished for or prayed for. This happened, right? Matter of fact, it was so real that it could be that my very body was transported to the third heaven, that I was bodily brought up. All right, so that's important to know. This was very significant, 
But it's also important because, as we know from the book of 1 Corinthians, and we see moments of this in 2 Corinthians as well, there were those in the Corinthian church who were confused about the importance of the body. And who actually kind of bought into this thinking that if something is spiritually important, then it's not physical. They had actually kind of brought into this the physical and the spiritual are opposed to each other. And so we have in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians um, this extended teaching that Paul gives about the resurrection and the importance that there is a physical resurrection of Jesus. Jesus physically rose from the dead, and we look forward to a physical resurrection. The body is so important that the Lord will rise again our bodies, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, new creation. So probably here he's just wanting to make sure, don't hear this vision and somehow think, aha, that confirms my belief that the body isn't important, right? He wants to say, look, this actually may have happened bodily. You know, I don't even know for sure, but don't take this spiritual moment as a denial of the importance of the body. But he does say, I know this man was caught up into paradise. Again, the third heaven, paradise, the presence of God. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own half, behalf, I will not boast except my weaknesses. Okay, so he's saying, I won't boast in this, but then, again, he makes it clear that it was him. Uh, but he also says, right, if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. I'm not making this up. This actually happened to me, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So basically, I want you to trust in me as an apostle because what you have seen and heard, because I've taught you about Jesus. You've seen me minister to you. You've seen me minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? You've seen my Father's heart for you, my love for you. Respect me and honor me because of that, not because of this experience, not because of this spiritual experience. So again, we can say, all right, so he's saying, don't, you know, use the spiritual experience as a way to sort of lift me up. But he's also making it clear, I did have this experience, and it was true. So what's going on here? Why does it seem like he's kind of boasting, but sort of a roundabout, sort of maybe passive-aggressive way and how he's boasting? What's going on? Well, one thing that helps us to understand is it's very likely that the super apostles, um, and part of their sort of, you know, um, impressing others, probably shared about spiritual experiences that they had had, probably experiences like this. That was sort of common at that time, right? If you wanted to show someone, look how spiritually superior I am. For one thing, you'd be very gifted in rhetoric, right? And so that would be important. And also you would speak of these experiences, these power encounters that you had had with God. And we know that the Corinthian church was really into power. That was a big deal for them. So we would expect that the super apostles would have shared experiences like this. We would also expect that when they shared these experiences, they would have done so in a way that was similar, that was sort of in line with apocalyptic literature, of that time. So we can go back and we can study sort of the literature of that time. And apocalyptic literature had certain marks of it. If we want to know, well, what does apocalyptic literature look like? Well, we can look at the book of Revelation, right? At the very end of our Bibles, and we can read apocalyptic literature right now. And some of the marks of apocalyptic literature is involve someone sort of being taken up into heaven, being taken up into the throne room of God, which we see, right, in the book of Revelation, being revealed, certain things being revealed to them. Often it involved angels, which again we see in Revelation, angels sort of guide um, John at different times. Interestingly enough, a, a messenger, an angel, is mentioned by Paul, but in a very different way. Um, the apocalyptic literature usually does so when he speaks about a messenger of Satan, which we'll talk about in a minute. So, so Paul's probably saying, look, I know these spiritual experiences have been shared with you by the apostles um, or by the false, fake apostles, right, by the false apostles. Right? But I'm actually sharing it in a way that's distancing myself from it. So when they were sharing it, they were saying, look, this shows how legitimate I am because I've had this spiritual experience. 
So Paul, in speaking about him third person, speaking about himself in third person, is sort of saying, look, I had this experience, but I'm not even going like, to connect myself to it. I'm actually going to speak about it as if it was someone different because that's not a reason to follow me as an apostle. He wants them to understand, I actually have experienced this, and it's important they understand this because of what's to follow. But he's sharing it in a way that actually kind of undermines the boasting of the super apostles. The other thing that's key in sort of sharing these experiences, a big part of what the super apostles would have done is they would have said, and here's what I experienced. Here's what I heard. Here's what I saw. Now, John does that, right? Obviously in the book of Revelation. But when we read the book of Revelation, there's no question, right? When you read that, oh, John's trying to build himself up. John's trying to impress us. When we read the book of Revelation, it's clear. John wants us to be impressed with one person and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ, right? He alone is worthy. Matter of fact, John includes some moments where he's rebuked by angels, right? He ends up looking kind of bad at times, like, what's wrong with this guy, right? And so John shares in a humble way, but again, that would have been very unusual. The way you sort of share your experiences is listen to this secret knowledge that I've been given. Listen to this incredible things I've been shown. You need me, right, to hear about these amazing things that I've seen. But what does Paul say about this man? He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So the very thing usually that you would boast in, he says, I can't actually share that with you. I'm not allowed to. So again, he's contrasting himself and the super apostles here. A final thing I would say about his revelation um, and the way he speaks about in the third person. This is subtle, um, but I believe it's there. Many do. That basically in saying, I know a man in Christ who experienced this. Yes, he's speaking about himself, but using that language, he's acknowledging this is for everyone who is in Christ. This is an experience we all will have in Jesus. Now, he had it before he died, right? A little unusual. Others have, have had mystic and powerful experiences like this. But every one of us will experience, right, coming into the presence of the Lord. Every one of us will experience paradise in Jesus, right? That is what we have in Christ. As a matter of fact, when he uses the word paradise, that word's not used much in the scriptures. But there's another place where it's used. Where Jesus, dying on the cross, a thief dying next to him, amazingly puts his faith in Jesus. Right? The thief acknowledges, right, I'm guilty of the crimes I'm being punished for. But I believe this man is the king. And when he says to Jesus, right, remember me when you come into your kingdom, what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Right? That, that thief experienced paradise, right? That, that, that same thing that Paul experiences, Paul gets a foretaste of. So again, I think in his language, he's making it clear, like, yeah, one sense this is special. In another sense, this is for every one of us, right? Why would I boast about something that we all will experience, that it is ours in the Lord? And so... He, he, he has sort of, again, speaks of this experience, speaks of this revelation, right? And again, it becomes clear, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited, in case we were wondering, he's, he's clear here, yes, this is what I experienced. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Right? Now, this is hard, right? It's like, okay, so the Lord didn't want him to become conceited. We can understand that. But it sounds like the Lord is like working with Satan here. Like they, are they working in partnership to keep Paul from becoming conceited? And to be very clear, right, the Lord does not work in partnership with Satan. They have very different goals, right? The goal of Satan is to destroy and to divide, to tear down, right? The Lord's ultimate goal is to build us up, is to unify us, is to grow us in him. But the Lord, because he is a redeeming God, 
right, can work through evil situations, through bad situations, and bring good out of them. This is what Paul is bearing witness to. Right, the Lord worked in the midst of a messenger of Satan, right? The messenger of Satan does not want Paul to become less conceited, right? Satan doesn't want Paul to become more holy and grow in the Lord, right? Satan wants to destroy Paul. But he understands that the Lord was at work in the midst of this. Now, again, this is challenging, right? It's hard for us to get our mind around, right? Because we say a messenger of Satan is evil, and yet God uses good in the midst of this. But, of course, that's the very heart of our faith, right? Because we believe that we are saved through Christ's death on the cross, his death on the cross was a great act of injustice. Christ was completely innocent. Right? He never should have gone to the cross. That's awful, right? That the Messiah, the Son of God, would be put to death. And yet the Lord works through his death to save us and to bring salvation. So that right when we celebrate, right? when we have a day set aside to celebrate the death of Jesus on our behalf, we call it Good Friday. Because again, the Lord brought good out of right, that act of injustice. And, right, I mean, if you think about it, as we, as we live in that, right, before Jesus went to the cross, what did he pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Three times he prayed, right, if it's your will, Lord, could this cup be removed from me? Is it possible that I could not go through with this suffering? And we see, right, Paul, three times, pleading with the Lord to take away um, this thorn in his flesh, I should just make a side note, by the way. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Lots of Christians over um, the centuries have speculated about it, but God doesn't tell us, and so we don't know. <laughs> so there's, there's really no reason to speculate. It could be physical. It could be relational. It could be temptation that he faced. We don't know. But we do know that he cried out to the Lord to remove this thorn from him. That wasn't bad, he says, and say, I shouldn't have. The Lord rebuked me for, for asking. No, right? I mean, Jesus cried out three times to the Father to be spared from going to the cross. But Jesus, right, made it clear, not my will, but thine be done. If it is right for me to go to the cross, I will do it, which he did. And Paul as well, right, received from the Lord. After asking three times that the thorn of the flesh be removed, he says, um, he receives, again, these words from Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So we see the Lord working through, right, this trial, um, uh, ensures, right, helps Paul not to become conceited, but also speaks to him about his grace. and speaks to Paul about the fact that he can experience the Lord's power in the midst of his workness, weakness. Made perfect also has a sense of made complete, right? My power is fulfilled. It's made complete in you as you know your weakness, as you are aware of your weakness, right? So therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. I will boast then of weakness so that I may know the power of Christ. So what do we do with this, right? Again, this story of Paul, this experience of incredible revelation, but also the experience of the thorn in the flesh. Um, A few questions, again, to consider. One is to consider how do we speak about, right, our experiences, our accomplishments, and we could say, you know, our spiritual experiences, our spiritual accomplishments, certainly that's the dynamic here. But I think we can just, in general, just reflect on this passage and ask, what does this mean, right? In, in experiences I've had and things I've accomplished, how can I speak about them? In one sense, we can say, well, it's clear, you shouldn't boast, right? But I think we all know there are times, actually, when we are sharing our joy and celebrating what God has done through us, what God has um, given us opportunities to do, right? There are ways in which... You know, we sharing victories in the Lord 
and ways in which the Lord has done great things through us, it actually builds each other up. I think about experience I had um, a number of years ago. I was on a retreat with other uh, pastors, which is always a dangerous thing because when pastors get together, they actually do want to build um, themselves up, <laughs> right? Pastors are very insecure um, creatures. And so um, on this retreat, actually, though, the first few days of the retreat was just an opportunity for us to really be honest about here's challenges I've faced, here's difficulties, right? It was sort of a vulnerable place and a place where everyone was willing to be vulnerable. But I think it was about the fourth or fifth day, the leaders of the retreat were like, okay, now we're going to go around and we're going to share something awesome you did. Basically, they were saying, you're going to boast now about something that went really well in your ministry. And we were all kind of uncomfortable with it, uh, but we started doing it. And what happened because of the dynamic and because of sort of what we had gone through those days before, it actually became this incredible time of celebrating the Lord and his goodness. We were clear enough on our own weaknesses that we knew this really isn't about us. I think we can experience that. But I think a great question to ask, right, is what's to be gained? When we're thinking about, oh, I want to share this experience. Oh, I want to share this accomplishment. What's to be gained by it? That's a great question. Obviously, there was something to be gained by Paul sharing about um, this experience of being brought up to the third heaven. He shared about it in kind of uh, an interesting way in order to teach something. But there is something to be gained by it. So we can ask the Lord, Lord, convict me. When my sharing is actually more about me, when my sharing is about building myself up, um, let me see that, right? I mean, we're all going to do it. I mean, it's just part of human nature. But to ask the Lord, help soften, right, that, that urge, right, to build myself up. And certainly we can say, Lord, help soften, right, the urge actually to tear others down. I think actually there's sometimes a way in which we sort of subtly boast about ourselves, but it's more about just putting ourselves maybe a little bit above others so that we can put them down. You know, man, I really messed up, but I didn't mess up as bad as that other guy, right? It's sort of a, maybe a Minnesotan way of boasting, right? You know, that we can, you know, sort of get in a dig. Not that Minnesotans like to dig in at other people, but we like to figure out ways to, to subtle in our boasting. And so to ask the Lord, right, give me conviction, direct me, and, and show me. Where am I actually seeking to build myself up when actually maybe there's an opportunity to build others up? But the second question then we can ask is, what does it look like to boast in my weaknesses? What does that look like for me? How do I live out that call, actually, boast in your weaknesses? To be clear, that does not mean boast in areas of sin that you've just decided to accept, right? Do not boast in your weakness in the sense of, you know, I'm just a great liar. I'm, like, really good at lying, and I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm a great liar. That is not boasting in your weakness in a biblical way. But it is boasting in our weakness to say, man, I really struggle sometimes with being honest. And the Lord has helped me, but I, I need more of his help. With, apart from the Lord, apart from the truth incarnate that I know in Jesus, I would be a lot more deceitful. And I need to keep seeking his help. At our um, men's listening prayer gathering on Thursday night, Tyler Holly, our ministry resident, um, shared uh, with the guys from um, Colossians 2, and uh, the end of the passage that he shared on, um, uh, Paul is speaking about his mission and his um, role as an apostle and his commitment to, again, build others up and build others up in Christ and share the good news of Christ. Um, at the end of that passage, he says, for this I toil. So he's acknowledging, right, there is effort in living out our faith. There's effort in fulfilling our calling. For this I toil, right, there are areas of sin, that we seek the Lord's help in, that we need the Spirit of God to help and to give us strength. And so there is a a working out of our salvation with fear and trembling, another (laughs) Paul line. 
But he says, for this I toil, but then he says, struggling with all his energy, with all Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. And so boasting in our weaknesses doesn't mean, right, we don't acknowledge, right? There's effort that God calls us to. There's formation that God wants to do in our lives. That's acknowledging it's his work. It's his spirit working within us. Do you hear that boasting in the weaknesses that Paul's doing right there? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. I can't do it in my own power. I need him. I'm weak. I need his strength. And so what does it look like, again, for you to boast in your weaknesses, to, to actually be in that vulnerable place of saying, I need the Lord's help. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I know that. And my final question is, how are we celebrating his grace? And how are we enjoying and living in and, and, and again, proclaiming, right, and bearing witness to his grace? My grace is sufficient for you. As we've said before, we don't know for sure what these false apostles, these super apostles were teaching, but we get the very strong sense of whatever they were teaching, it was undermining the grace of Jesus. Then some way they were sending the message, his grace is not enough. And Paul had to learn directly from the Lord, and he's sharing it now right, with all the Corinthian church, his grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. As I read this passage, and especially as I read verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Right? I have to admit, I'm I'm not there yet. Right? When I read Paul saying that, I believe he's there. But sometimes I'm content with those things, but often I'm not. Often I'm very uncontent with weaknesses and hardships and calamities. And it's just being honest. And yet, as I read this, I know the the solution is not. I'm just going to try harder to be content, right? I'm going to force myself to be content. You know, when an insult or a hardship or a calamity comes my way, I've got to be content, right? That doesn't help. I also know it doesn't help to be like, I'm just, I'll beat myself up when I'm not content and tell myself what a terrible person I am for not being content in the Lord, right? That doesn't help. What helps is actually to say, I'm going to live in his grace. I'm going to remember that his grace is sufficient. I'm going to remember that his power is made perfect in my weakness, Right, to, to live into this is to live into the goodness and the sufficiency of Christ's grace in our life. That truly his work on the cross is finished. Right? And we, we have received it. And he rose from the dead and defeated sin and Satan. And that is ours in Jesus. We had a, a powerful picture of grace um, at our uh, last year's uh, Good Friday services in the Good Friday service, and many of you know this, you've been, um, been to those services. Uh, we have a time at the end where we sing songs about Christ's death on the cross and giving thanks to him for the salvation that we've received in him. And there's a, a wooden cross um, that we put up front. And we invite people, if they'd like to, to come forward. And as a way to acknowledge Christ's payment for our sins, to come forward and, and you can put your hand on the cross or you can kneel at the cross. It's just a time to sort of in an embodied way show our thankfulness and our um, gratitude and to just acknowledge the reality that he's paid for our sins. Um, and at our um, Good Friday service uh, last year, we were having um, this time, and uh, Barb and um, Andre Latandras, I knew I was going to choke up, um, came forward to pray at the cross, and the cross was up here. And so we saw that Barb was in a wheelchair because um, she has Parkinson's. And um, so a couple of us just, you know, without thinking, just came up and took the cross and brought it down to the floor so that Barb could put her hand on it. 
And afterwards, a number of us said at that moment, that simple gesture, we all kind of saw the same thing, which is right in our weakness, the Lord has come down. I mean, we couldn't go up, right, in our sinfulness and our weaknesses. We can't go up to him, but he has come down to us. It's a picture of grace. And I want to be clear when I say that Barb Latondris is not a weak person. Um, as you all know, she has incredible faith and incredible strength. But her body is weakened, and the Lord has met her in that, and she bears powerful testimony to that. So let's think about what are those pictures of grace that I've been shown? What are those moments of grace that remind me of the grace? May I live in that and the sufficiency of his grace. May we know a contentedness in all situations. Let's pray for that. Father, we just are aware today as we read these words, your words spoken through your apostle Paul, um, that these are hard things to live into. That to boast about our weakness is difficult, to know the sufficiency of your grace is difficult, and yet your spirit helps us. So I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would toil with the Lord's power at work within us. Lord, I pray for those right now who are especially in a time of calamity, of grief, of difficulty, that, Lord, you would meet them there, and they would know a contentedness that's even greater, Lord, than the, than the sorrow. Um, and the struggles that they're experiencing. And Lord, we thank you that um, paradise is coming. And we look forward to that, and we pray we would know your strength in this day. And we ask all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.